Well, hello, my friends. The grace and peace of our Lord and Savior be with you. I want to welcome you to the Sermons from the Cornfield podcast, a weekly podcast where the sermons that I preach each and every Sunday are uploaded for you to listen to and review. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill, and I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. God bless. Friends, our gospel reading and the sermon text this morning comes from Matthew's gospel. We are in chapter 16, and we'll be reading verses 21 through 28. Again, this is Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 21 through 28. And it says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. Well, sisters and brothers, we finished up week two now of virtual learning with our kids. It's gone about as well as you could have expected. And during these first two weeks, Heidi and I have both tried to be as hands-on with the kids as we needed to be. Last week, the very first week, Gray, who was in the eighth grade, uh, had as some of his assignments these baseline tests for both his English class and his advanced math class. The teachers kind of just wanted to see exactly where he was and how much he had retained from last year, particularly given the fact that really in-class instruction ended about March or so of last spring. Heidi helped him with the English portion of some of these baseline tests, and the score that he got indicated that he reads and comprehends at an 11th grade level, which I think is pretty good for an 8th grader. I helped him with his advanced math assignments, and he graded out at an eighth grade level, which is still pretty good for him, but I'm not exactly sure what that says about me and my math prowess. But what these two weeks have reminded me, though, is that all of us, at various points in our lives, will get some things right and some things wrong. Whether it be schools or our jobs or our relationships, whatever it may be, we aren't right all the time. And truthfully, I've come to look at things as not so much as right or wrong, but more success or success or failure, but more as looking at things as success or opportunities to learn. 
The things we get right, we get right. And we should be proud of those things. We should celebrate those things. But the things we get wrong are opportunities to learn and better ourselves. Which brings us to Peter. I feel like in church that we tend to like to point out where Peter gets things wrong more than we point out where Peter gets things right. And truth be told, we are going to talk about where Peter gets something wrong here in a little bit. But first, let's show Peter a little love. You see, last week's gospel reading recorded the strong, clear, correct, and confident confession of faith made by our boy Peter through the power of the Holy Spirit to Jesus' question, who do you say I am? And you may remember that Peter answered, you are the Christ. Some translations, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And last week we talked about how that this confession, this confession is the rock upon which the church is built upon. And that any church built upon this confession, friends, will not fall. So score one for Peter. This week we pick up roughly where last week's story left off. And we continue to read that from time to time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. In these few powerful words, Jesus reveals his whole purpose of his earthly ministry, the Father's divine plan for the salvation of all humankind, and the good news, the gospel, that he, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, had come to suffer, die, and be raised again for the forgiveness of our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Enter now Peter. Growing up, there used to be a pro wrestling manager named Jimmy Hart, and his nickname was the Mouth of the South. I wonder if sometimes when he was out of earshot, if maybe the other disciples had a similar nickname for Peter. Because he does always seem to be exercising his vocal cords, does he not? Whether right or wrong. Peter was so, so right in verse 16 that we read last week, confessing Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And now, six verses later, so, so wrong. I wonder how quick that turnaround was in actuality. Five minutes, a few hours, a few days. I mean, exactly how long did it take for Peter to go from flying high to crash and burn in Jesus' eyes? Because you see, poor old Peter couldn't comprehend all that Jesus was revealing to him and to the other disciples. And so he responded, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Why would Peter say this? Well, roughly he and the other disciples were looking for another kind of Christ, another kind of Messiah. And friends, we've talked about this before, whether it be in sermons or in Bible studies. Peter and the disciples and truthfully all of the, the nation of Israel were expecting one who would come like a shining knight on a white horse coming as an earthly savior to free them from the tyranny of their Roman oppressors. But Jesus, at this time, truthfully, only Jesus, knew who he was and why he had come. And so looking through Peter, 
Jesus said to the devil, out of my sight, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so Peter goes from the rock foundation of the church to a stumbling stone. You see, Jesus knew that he had come to take up his cross and follow the will of his heavenly father. It was absolutely necessary that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer unjustly at the hands of wicked, hateful men, to die a cruel death on the cross, and three days later be raised again to life by the power of the Almighty God. By doing so, he took on my sins, he took on your sins, and through this forgiveness, restored our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now granted, we have some 2,000 years of history to look back upon that Peter did not at the time of our reading this morning. We know how this story plays out, so maybe we should forgive old Pete for not fully understanding what Jesus was talking about, what Jesus was doing, and what the gospel truly means to all who claim to be Christ's followers. But friends, the story doesn't end there. Just as he did for us, so Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. So often, though, it seems that we misunderstand what a cross is. Our cross is not something common to all people, Christian and non-Christian alike. Difficulties at work, illness and disease, struggles in relationships, financial difficulties are not necessarily crosses because they are common to all human beings. Rather, friends, our cross is something he places before us to be willing to endure or suffer because we are his followers, because we are believers, and because we are his disciples. In our Wesleyan tradition, you oftentimes hear these things referred to as means of grace. Our forefather, John Wesley, further separated means of grace into two categories as works of mercy and works of piety. What are works of mercy? Loving the unlovable, caring for the lonely and forgotten, sharing a hug with the untouchable, volunteering to help those in need, providing a ride to worship for a newcomer in our community, giving to the Lord and over and above the tithe to help us meet our needs and the unusual challenges of this time, and many other ways in which God may be calling you to take up your cross and follow Christ. What things should you be doing that you aren't doing for the community? What are works of piety? Prayer, scripture reading, holy communion, fasting, being part of the Christian community through worship and Bible study, healthy living, and all the other ways in which God is calling you to sacrifice your time and habits that get in the way or prevent you from taking up your cross and following Christ in this way. Friends, as disciples, we must give our lives away in obedience to God rather than trying to preserve our lives and our own selfish desires. In Wesley's notes on this very passage, in reference to discipleship's requirement of this fact, he says, none of this is forced. But if any will be a Christian, it must be on these terms. You don't have to do this, but if you truly want to be a disciple, 
a Christ follower, it must be on these terms. No cross, no crown. Not only for ourselves, but again for our community, for our country, for our world. I think many of you would agree that the world we live in now may be the most selfish, hateful, anti-Christian that it has ever been. And I think a big reason for that is that we have for too long ignored the requirement of our Lord to pick up our crosses. We have put our crosses down and have picked up other things as replacements, other selfish things as replacements. I want to for a minute go back to John Wesley, who though he wrote these words in 1790, I think it speaks volume to our world right now. He writes this. He says, it is absolutely necessary in the very nature of the thing to our coming after him and following him insomuch that as far as we do not practice it, we are not his disciples. If we do not continually deny ourselves, we, then we do not learn of him, but of other masters. If we do not take up our cross daily, we do not come after him, but after the world or the prince of the world or our own fleshly mind. If we're not walking in the way of the cross, we are not following him. We are not treading in his steps, but going back from, or going at least wide of him. Why has Christianity done so little good, even among us, among the Methodists? Among them that hear and receive the whole Christian doctrine, and that have Christian discipline added thereto in the most essential parts of it? Plainly because we have forgot, or at least not duly attend to those solemn words of our Lord, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It was the remark of a holy man several years ago. Never was there before a people in the Christian church who had so much of the power of God among them with so little self-denial. Indeed, the work of God does go on, and in a surprising manner, notwithstanding this capital defect, but it cannot go on in the same degree as it otherwise would. Neither can the word of God have its full effect unless the hearers of it deny themselves and take up their cross daily. If we want a revival, friends, it has to start with us, denying ourselves and our own selfish interests, and picking up our crosses daily, participating in the means of grace by works of piety and works of mercy, and following the way of Christ. Finally, friends, Jesus tells us this morning that the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Now, please understand that Jesus doesn't promise eternal life because of what we do. Rather, what we do, how we willingly take up our cross to follow him, demonstrates the faith in our hearts and our loving response for all that he has done for us. It is this faith which he promises to reward with the gift of eternal life. The choice of following Jesus will not remain open forever, friends. What it really boils down to is not so much how others respond to Jesus, but how we respond to Jesus. How do you respond to Jesus? 
So let me ask you the question. How is the Holy Spirit working in you? What cross is Jesus placing before you today? How will you respond in joyful service to your Savior? How will you take up your cross and follow Jesus? I pray that God graciously give you all eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts filled with compassion as you take up your cross to follow Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless.